Well, we've seen that one of the sources of God's counsel is the scriptures themselves. And these scriptures teach us about the truth of Christ and his purpose, and they reveal to us how God expects us to live. And the role of the Spirit of God is to teach us and to enable us to apply the truth of those scriptures to our lives and the situations that we encounter each and every day. The problem, however, is that there are times when it's not always possible to find a clear direction from God in those scriptures in the way we should go. As a young Bible college student, I was keen on serving the Lord, but didn't know how I was to do so. And at that point, I was not really even clear about my spiritual gifts and burdens. And the one passion I did have to be a pastor in my own denomination seemed to be taken away from me. And so I had no sense of what the Lord wanted me to do. Now, I read the Bible, but there was no word in that Bible to tell me to become a missionary, to join the Africa Evangelical Fellowship, or to go to the island of Mauritius. Nor was there any word in the Bible that told me who I should marry before I went. And so this left me with one of two options. And the first was that I follow the general guidelines of Scripture and do whatever I felt best. And the second was to believe that God did have a specific purpose and trust that he would lead me outside of the general revelation of Scripture. Now, believers fall into two camps here. And so what should we believe? Does God still lead us into things that are not specifically laid out in his word? And does God have a specific purpose for my life? Or do I simply have to have his blessing on whatever I decide to do for him? Well, to answer this question, let's look at the counsel of God as found in the scriptures and particularly as it refers to the ministry of God in the scriptures. Now, let's begin with a passage from Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Ezekiel 8 and verse 1. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of the hair of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in a vision of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway at the inner court that faces north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provokes to jealousy. Now notice what's happening here. The elders have come to Ezekiel, and as they sat before Ezekiel seeking the counsel of the Lord, the prophet sees a vision. And in that vision, the Spirit of God lifts him up by the head and between heaven and earth and shows Ezekiel the inner court of the temple. And there the prophet Ezekiel sees an image that provoked the jealous rage of the Lord. 
And so the Spirit of God shows Ezekiel in his vision of, of the temple this image that provoked the jealousy of God. Now that vision was not at that time recorded in the Scripture, but it revealed directly to Ezekiel the guilt of idolatry in the nation of Judah. Now the command of God against adultery was very clear, but not the fact that they were guilty at that precise moment and that God by his Spirit wanted to communicate that act of guilt, that guilt to the elders of Judah. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to these elders and he reveals to them the very specific reason why he was angry with them at that time. Now, it should have been clear from the law that idolatry was wrong. But the Spirit of God knows that these individuals somehow missed that and needed to be rebuked at that particular time. And so through Ezekiel the prophet, he rebukes them for the specific act of idolatry. He has a very specific word to bring these people in line with the teaching of God's word. Now, this principle of the Spirit of God pointing out areas where God's people are not in line with his word is even more specific in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, listen to what we read. This is John who is speaking. Revelation 1 and verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches of to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so the, the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos. And there on the island of Patmos, the Spirit of God comes to him on the Lord's day. And a voice speaks to John in his isolation and tells him to record in a book what he was going to show him. And the Spirit of God begins to reveal to John a variety of matters pertaining to the seven churches of Asia, where these churches were not in line with the teaching of Scripture. And so in Revelations 2 to Revelation 2 to 3, we see how the Spirit of God reveals very specific sins and challenges believers to make things right. Now, John would not have known about these matters, but wrote as the Spirit of God inspired him. It was the desire of the Spirit that these churches comply with the truth of God's word. And the Spirit of God uses John to show these churches how to apply that truth of Scripture into the, in their situation. And he does this by exposing sin that needs to be addressed. And what's important for us to see here is how God spoke through Ezekiel and John and challenged his people in very specific matters where they were not in compliance with Scripture. So don't be surprised. If God uses someone else to speak to you, 
He may lead the strangest people to rebuke you or to reveal something to you or to me that you never thought of before. The counsel of God may sometimes come through people who speak on the Lord's behalf into given situations in your life. And the Spirit of God will speak those words to us, giving us the counsel of God, sometimes through ordinary people and their rebuke. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Is the role of the Spirit only in teaching believers how to apply the Scriptures to their lives? And rebuking them when they wander from that, as we've seen in the case of Ezekiel and John. Does he lead us in other ways as well? Well, to answer that, let's look at Luke chapter 2 and verses 25 to 26. And this is what Luke chapter 2, 25 says. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so here we have a man by the name of Simeon who waited for the Messiah. Now, the Messiah was clearly pointed to in the, in the pages of Scripture. But notice how in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit revealed particularly to Simon that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus. Now, that was something that was not revealed in the Scriptures. The Holy, Script the Holy Spirit reveals this piece of information to Simon personally. And Simon lived in expectation of the event, not only because it was the truth of Scripture written in the pages of Scripture, but also because the Spirit of God had given him personal information about it and how he would see the Messiah before he died. Now, moving on to Acts chapter 8, verses 29 to 31, we see something else here about the work of the Spirit of God in the life of Philip the Evangelist. And so Acts 8, beginning at verse 27, we read this. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now, Philip was in the midst of a revival in Samaria when the angel of the Lord came to him and told him to go to the desert. Now, that would not have been a choice he would have made or even considered. 
Great things were happening in Samaria, and God was at work, and he was exercising his spiritual gifts effectively, and was very likely excited about the work that God was doing, that he was seeing God do in Samaria. And a call away from that would have not have been natural for him to make. But in obedience to the prompting of that angel and to the word of that angel, however, Philip goes into the desert, and when he arrives he sees a chariot passing by. And it was at this precise moment that Philip hears the voice of the Spirit, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip, in obedience to that voice of the Spirit, goes over and speaks to that Ethiopian and leads him to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus did tell Philip, that he was to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, to his witness in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, that we can read in Scripture. But there's nowhere in the Bible that Philip could read at that point, go over to the chariot. That was a direct commandment of the Spirit of God. And we see here that the Spirit of God leads Philip to a very specific man at a very crucial time in his life to explain to him the meaning of the prophecy of Isaiah. Now moving ahead to Acts chapter 11 verses 28 to 30, we have the story of a man by the name of Agabus, a prophet, who spoke by the Spirit to the believers about an upcoming famine. And listen to the response of the believers to this word through Agabus. In Acts chapter 11, verse 29, as a result of this word from Agabus, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. These believers would never have found what Agabus said in the pages of the scriptures they had in that day. It was not written there. They did, however, take what he said seriously and determined to send relief to their brothers and sisters. They understood that Agabus, according to verse 28, spoke by the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God warns God's people of danger that is coming, a great famine that is coming, and a way that they can be of support to others in their time of need. In those days, Jews and Gentiles were separate. And there was still a sense that these Gentiles were inferior and that the Jews were still the chosen people of God. And one day Peter was resting on his roof when the Lord came to him in a vision. And in that vision, he sees this sheet 
coming down from heaven filled with unclean animals and and the voice calling out to him, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter, of course, is repulsed by the idea and refuses to do so. And after this vision was finished, Peter sat there contemplating what had happened and the Spirit of God begins to speak to Peter. And in, in Acts chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, we read, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And so the Spirit of God speaks to Peter and tells him to go with these three Gentile men who would come to see him. And it was by this means that Peter understood the purpose of God to save the Gentiles. And the truth of God's purpose for the Gentiles, while clearly revealed in the Old Testament, nowhere will we find those words rise and go down to and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them written in Scripture. That was a specific direction and a specific word from the Holy Spirit to Peter at a very specific time and for a very specific purpose. Now, there are times in the early church where the church was not sure about how God wanted them to function. We have a case in Acts chapter 15 where believers were divided over the place of the Gentile in the church and what it would look like if a Gentile was to be part of the church. Should they follow the Jewish customs, become part of the church? Should they be circumcised? Well, some believers felt very strongly about that and that they needed to be. Others, like the Gentiles, had no such desire to adopt Jewish customs. And so this debate raged in the early church. And, and as they met together to resolve this, listen to what the, the apostles say as they write a letter of response to those who had come inquiring about whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses and all of those things. Here's what the apostles write as they respond to this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, notice particularly that phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no further burden. The Holy Spirit reveals to the church that apart from eating food sacrificed to idols, eating blood and sexual immorality, these Gentiles were to be unrestricted. Now, there was no place that could read that in the scriptures. All the scriptures they had said the Gentiles needed to follow the law of Moses. But the Spirit of God showed these believers the heart of God for the Gentile. Now, a similar situation arises in Acts 13 when the church of Antioch was praying together. 
Notice what takes place that day. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now notice the words, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Two details here. One, the Holy Spirit had a specific work for Paul and Barnabas. And two, the Spirit of God spoke to the church of Antioch to tell them what that purpose was. Now, in Acts chapter 16 and verses 6 and following, we read how the apostles were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They were on their missionary journey and attempted to go into Asia, but the Spirit of God forbade them from doing so. So hearing this, that the Spirit of God forbade them, they attempted instead to go to Bithynia. But there again, we read that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go into Bithynia. And finally, Paul has a vision urging him to go to Macedonia. So they go to Macedonia, seeing it as the leading of the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul tells those who were warning him about going to Jerusalem that the Spirit of God was constraining him to go, that he was constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And so the Spirit of God here is leading people to places they would not have chosen. He is forbidding people from going into places they wanted to go. And so we see that the Spirit of God is communicating and leading his people in ways that they could not find in the pages of the scriptures that had been written for them, leading them into the specific purpose and plan of God for their life. And so the question we ask ourselves is this. Does the Spirit of God lead us? Well, the Bible shows that the Spirit of God led his people not only in the application of scripture, but also into the purpose of God for their lives. He led them in what to say. He led them where to go. Now, some people tell us that God no longer leads us in this way. But listen to the counsel of Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 when he says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, we've seen that the human heart is deceitful. We've understood by Scripture that the mind is contrary, the mind of the flesh is contrary to God, and that passions of the flesh lure and entice us to sin. Do we dare to say 
that what Paul tells us in Romans 8 and verse 14 is no longer applicable to us today, that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God, doesn't that still apply to us in our day? Do we dare believe that while the apostles needed the direction of the Spirit, that we have somehow evolved into a higher form of spirituality and do not need that same direction? Do we need the counsel of God when it's not clearly laid out for us in Scripture? Isn't it the role of the Spirit of God to direct us to the path that we need to follow? There's something very comforting and reassuring to know that the God who wrote the Scriptures will also help us to apply it. But he goes beyond that to leading us in our daily walk when we can't find the specific answers we need in the pages of his Word. He will call you to a particular ministry and, and move you into that ministry. He will lead you into a specific mission field. He will place people in your path at the right time. He, he will give you a word of comfort and reassurance for a brother or sister. He who dwells in you will lead you and guide you. He will share the counsel of God with you in those areas where you need specific direction. And when you can't find that answer in the scriptures, he will not leave you, but will direct you into the very purpose and heart of the Father if you will open your heart and listen to what he has to say.